This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about oatmeal. Whew, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, this was a listener suggestion sent in by Caitlin with a very compelling subject line that said, Dark Horse Suggestion. Oh. So, yes. Uh, but then also a very compelling reason why we should look into oatmeal, which we will share later. Uh so, yes, thank you, Caitlin. Uh, this one has been a bit difficult to wrangle because, uh, as Lauren and I were discussing, people have a lot of thoughts about oats and oatmeal. Uh-huh. But also, it's not called oatmeal everywhere. And uh, that created some interesting research <laughs> difficulties. Yeah, yeah. There's there's this great moment in um, doing reading for any one of these episodes where, like, you're going along your normal kind of tree of, like, searches and follow-up searches. And then all of a sudden you realize that, like, you've been looking at a branch and the tree is over here and it's much bigger. Right. <laughs> right. And you're just like, oh, heck, okay. And well, you feel... Despair, but also <laughs> <laughs> excitement. It's a it's an interesting concoction of emotions. Yeah, it, I mean it's joyous because it means that there's more reading. Mm -hmm. I don't hate more reading, right? But it can throw a screw in your like daily schedule. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll discuss some more of that as we go through this. I. Personally, I go through oatmeal phases, and I'll say they're yeah. pretty 
far out. They're spread out. Okay. Um, yeah. When I was a kid, on special, like, really cold occasions, my mom would make slow cooker cinnamon apple oatmeal, and Ooh. it was the best. Oh, it was wow. the best. It was so smooth. Oh. <laughs> and I, I have fond memories of being bundled up in, in these blankets, eating this oatmeal, and trying to beat the PlayStation game Parasite Eve. <laughs> Which I never did beat, Lauren. Oh. It's not the oatmeal's fault. Oh. It's that damn crab. Well. That stupid crab in the sewer. <laughs> Impossible. You know. I maintain. <laughs> I I didn't have a PlayStation. Uh, I never had a PlayStation, so I never got that into Parasite Eve. Um, oh. But uh, but I remember I remember having a difficult time with it. I remember it not being the easiest game, and. You know, I don't think that you can scientifically say that it wasn't the oatmeal's fault. <laughs> I, I but, think the oatmeal was sustaining me through my rage. <laughs> I was furious. Uh, <laughs> I remember it very, very clearly, obviously. This is like one of my oatmeal memories. <laughs> no, I love this. I love this. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't have a video game that I associate oatmeal with, um, mm. but uh, but no, I did I did uh, eat it growing up. Um, I uh, and yeah, every every like fall when the when the weather starts turning and it starts getting kind of cold and crisp in the morning, like that is my oatmeal season. That is when I'm like, right. yes, yes, I need this hot grain porridge. Um, uh, and and it is it is a very nostalgic kind of kind of food. I also like. Especially during quarantine, I've noticed, like, I I usually have, like, a big box of, of oats in my cupboard. And for sure, about once every two weeks, I'm like, I need to make oatmeal cookies. And I haven't done it yet because, I, I don't know, I just, I'm like, really, Lauren? Like, is that what you're going to spend your baking energy on right now? <laughs> yes. But they're delightful. <laughs> I don't know why I know. I'm self-judging. I'm, I, I, it's weird. Yeah, you should you should turn that around. There's I, there's nothing in me that understands that. I'm like, why not? <laughs> I will. I remember when I first started. I don't know because we were kind of in separate worlds when you first started. So I don't know if you remember this, but I I would bring in cookies like once a week. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And it cracked me up because I think oatmeal cookies do have this reputation of being the lesser cookie. But they were my most requested cookie. Oh, huh. They were delicious. They were chocolate chip pecan oatmeal cookies. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they were so good. <laughs> it lends it, the oatmeal lends a good texture. It's it's nice. I mean, other cookies are great, too. But, you know, come on. We don't discriminate against cookies here. We do generally. not. <laughs> well, okay. I, I'm sure that there are probably some circumstances that one or the other of us could find to be picky about it. But at any rate. At any rate. All right. Let's get to our question. Oatmeal. What is it? Well, uh, oatmeal is a type of cereal porridge consisting of oats, uh, soaked or cooked until soft and liquid and typically served warm, uh, like, a, like a really thick grain soup. Uh, it often includes any variety of savory or sweet seasonings, mix-ins, and or toppings. In the United States... And in many other places, I believe, uh, this is a pretty solidly breakfast food. In the States, it's definitely more associated with kids. Um, and I feel like the preferences that 
Americans at any rate have for oatmeal are deeply personal and nostalgic. For example, I am a thick oatmeal cooked with milk with small amounts of cinnamon and brown sugar and raisins added toward the end person. (laughs) I love this. I love that this could be a way you introduce yourself to somebody. (laughs) Hello, I'm Lauren. I'm a thick oatmeal girl and I won't hear anything else. <laughs> my, my my roommate was making oatmeal one day and I was like, oh man, you're making oatmeal. I thought we were out of milk. And she was like, milk? Oh no. And I was like, mm. what? And she was like, I, w- why would you put that in that thing? And I was like, <laughs> I didn't like, I just, I just sort of just like took my cup of coffee and left. Like I could, I didn't know how to respond. Back down slowly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's it's popular all over the world. Um, the variations are endless. Uh, the, the liquid can be water, milk-type stuff, um, or broth. Uh, sweetened oatmeals can be seasoned with uh, baking spices and have some kind of fruit to fresh or dried or cooked or, uh, you know, jammed or otherwise preserved um, uh, added in there. Maybe chopped nuts or something like that, too. Uh, sweeteners with a little bit of flavor, your maple syrup, honey, brown sugar, that kind of stuff is nice. Savory oatmeals, on the other hand, can be uh, served with stuff like uh, like cooked vegetables. I don't know, like onions or mushrooms or peppers or something mixed in. Maybe with a nice fried egg or a sliced avocado or some kind of protein on top. And to me, see above read my oatmeal preferences, like this sounds like bizarro oatmeal, um, but mm-hmm. I am intrigued. <laughs> I am intrigued. I've, had, I've had the egg in the avocado. It was good. It was definitely one of those things, though, that, yeah, I, I don't associate oatmeal with being savory. Yeah. So it's like my brain was fritzing. What is this? <laughs> what is this? It was good, but odd. <laughs> I mean, right? Like like any excuse for hot sauce, sure, but like, yeah, just slightly confusing. Mm-hmm. I have seen the suggestion to replace the rice and risotto with oats to make risotto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yes. Oh. oh, I made Annie groan with a pun. Yes. Oh. <laughs> It was good. I, I liked you. it. It was a slow burn. My my brain was like, she didn't just say that, did she? <laughs> <laughs> she did? <laughs> oh, I like it. <laughs> oh, great. Great. Um, <laughs> at, uh, at any rate, uh, the primary ingredient here is oats, a botanical name Avena sativa. And oats are a grain, sometimes called a cereal, which means that they're a type of grass that grows these uh, really big starchy seeds with these uh, uh, thick fibrous hulls that, uh, well, well, in, in nature, that, that help ensure that the seeds have lots of nutrients and protection when they uh, germinate and start growing into plants. Um, but it also means that they've got lots of nutrients for other things that might eat them like uh, us or non-human animals. But so, uh, so we take these seeds and then we um, process them in a number of ways to get what we are going to make into oatmeal. Um, and, and you might have wondered about the differences between the different types of oats that are sold, and it is all in how they're processed. So, um, so the least processed type of oat on the market is called groats. And uh, these are the whole kernels that still have everything except for like the inedible parts of the, of the seed in there. Um, then you've got steel cut or Irish oats, which are groats that have been uh, cut into a few pieces using steel blades. Um, then uh, Scottish oats are groats that have been ground into a finer meal. 
At the next tier of processing, you have rolled or old-fashioned oats, which are groats that are um, steamed, then flattened into flakes, and then dried out. Um, and, and these will cook more quickly and are a little bit more shelf-stable. Um, finally, there is um, instant or quick oats, and these have been steamed longer and, and flaked out flatter so that they cook really quite quickly. You can make a, a porridgey type of oatmeal not by cooking at all, but just by soaking oats for four-plus hours or overnight in the fridge. But cooking does help the process along because of the way that some of the starches in oats react to heat. And, uh, okay, so we, we've talked about gelatinization before on the show um, in a bunch of different episodes relevant to today's topic um, in, in episodes like uh, uh, Cheetos and bagels and popcorn. Three, three separate topics. It, that was not a single episode. <laughs> But so, uh, okay, some, some starch molecules tend to form up into these kind of tight chains in dried grains. And when you apply heat, the, the, the bonds between those molecules will start to weaken. And if you've introduced water molecules into the mix, the, the starch molecules will glom on to the water so that the whole uh, matrix of, of starch molecules will swell. And this is gelatinization. And at like a like a macro level, like zooming back out, what you're going to see is, is your porridge thickening. And heat will start weakening those bonds at around like 140 Fahrenheit or 60 Celsius. Um, it'll, it'll max out around 195 Fahrenheit, 90 Celsius. Beyond that point, heating the starch molecules will cause them to start breaking apart from each other entirely. And this is part of why those slow cooker oats achieve such a nice texture because you're you're never getting them too hot. You're just just letting them letting them ride that that gelatinization wave. Just right, would you say? Just right. Oh my goodness. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> um uh this gelatinization will also occur if you just let oats soak at cooler temperatures, but it will take longer, hence um overnight oats being a thing. Now, you can also incorporate various kinds of oats into uh, other grain-based recipes and baked goods uh, like oatmeal cookies. And and oats are a frequent ingredient in uh, cold cereals like granola-related products like granola bars. And uh, oats can be ground into flour or made into oat milk. The bran from the whole grain can also be removed and ground into oat bran, which is sometimes called for in recipes. Um, but, uh, but we are mostly focusing today on the dish of oatmeal. Yes, because it is quite a large enough endeavor on its own. Oh my goodness, it is, yes. Okay, uh, but I have a very important follow-up question, Lauren. Oh, okay, yes. Extremely important. Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. Grote. Grote. It makes me want to laugh. <laughs> Do you know, is it like great combined with oats? Oh. Or is it just a very you funny know, word? <laughs> I suspect it's just a very funny word, uh, but I can Google that for you. <laughs> I was trying very hard to not be a child and laugh every time you said it, but I find that word quite humorous. Uh, I was wondering why you were starting to crack up in the middle of that, uh, and now I, I know. Paying attention. It's just gross because it reminds me. It reminds me of goats and oats, yeah. and that and that doesn't account for the R, but that's what it makes me think of. And then I just yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes me think of like you know the goat. 
greatest of all time, but with groat. <laughs> mm. Or there's like an I am groat joke <laughs> in there. <laughs> strangely, strangely enough, I was just looking this up and it's apparently, um, uh, or I mean, like, like very top level Googling. Um, it comes from the Middle Dutch groot. Oh, <gasps> wow. I got way more excited than that was probably warranted. <laughs> no. um, uh, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, um, uh, and, I, and I think that etymologically speaking, it was indeed a, um, a, a, from a similar root from the word great, meaning like, like, a, like a big or thick kind of meaning. So, yeah. Wow. So you were right. Hey. Hey. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. Um, <laughs> cannot wait to incorporate this into my conversation somehow. Uh, but all right, all right. Pivoting from that, uh-huh. what about nutrition? Well, in general, uh, oats are pretty good for you. Uh, you know, they're, they're starchy, yeah, but they do help fill you up, uh, do contain a bit of protein. So if you just pair them with a little more protein and or some fat, they can really help keep you going. Um, they contain a good spread of minerals and vitamins and antioxidants, both soluble and insoluble fiber, including this one particular type of, of fiber, uh, soluble fiber called uh, beta-glucan or glucan that's been shown to help slow down your digestion and and increase your feeling of fullness by kind of kind of swelling up in your stomach and giving your guts more to do and it can even bind with these um cholesterol containing compounds in your gut and carry them out of your body um thus preventing your body from uptaking that cholesterol which is cool or can be cool, depending on your situation and what you're looking to do. Um, to get the most from these properties, do choose less processed oats. Um, they take longer for your body to digest. If you do go for instant oats because of the convenience, be aware that some of those nutrients might have gotten leached out. Um, and do take a minute to add your own flavorings instead of buying the pre-flavored types if you can, if you can avoid it, because those tend to include just a lot of sugar. Um, and that's uh, that's usually evading the purpose of nutrition. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oatmeal oatmeal is a thing that has made a lot of headlines in like pop nutritional science over the years. Um, and, you know, so I just wanted to put in here, like always consider those stories with a kind of critical eye because the reporters are often latching on to a catchy story without really like exploring the full circumstances or context of the research. Um, lots of studies are looking at multiple kinds of whole grains. If they are just looking at oats. It's important to know what kind of oats they're using. Um, study size and practices and sponsorships are always important to consider. But in general, um, switching out processed grains for whole grains in your diet is great. Or groat. Or groat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So no, <laughs> don't be, don't be sorry. <laughs> Nothing to apologize for here. <laughs> I'm not sure that's true, but I can't stop it. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, there, there have been a number of studies, though. I will say that that have found that um, incorporating less processed types of oats in your diet uh, can help prevent heart disease, control diabetes, control hunger and food intake, um, and ease digestion. So there you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we do have some numbers for you. We do. Uh, the global oatmeal market is uh, huge, like really big. Um, as of 2019, it was worth uh, $2.4 billion a year and growing steadily. And I think that that is profits, not just like trade value, because I've seen other numbers that were like way higher, like way higher. So Mm -hmm. yes, Um, it was expected to reach in in this in this report that I was reading um, uh, over 3.5 billion by 2028, by some estimates. So growing market. Um, Yeah. Rolled and instant oats were by far the greatest segment of that market, some 78%. Uh, Apparently, Europe produces the most oats, although Canada is perhaps the largest exporter. Mexico and Japan are perhaps the largest importers. And uh, I guess the UK, Australia, and Canada consume the most. Mm Mm-hmm. I had some really good oatmeal that I remember from Australia. Oh, yeah? It was so good. What was was good about it? Oh... Uh, <laughs> Annie has like a face, like a hand on her cheek, and she's just like, yeah, like sighing, like <laughs> like Dreamy. a princess in a fairy tale. <laughs> yes, and my my love is oatmeal. Um, <laughs> it was like it tasted like lightly sweet in a way that's hard to describe. Mm, like it, mm-hmm. like a really fresh, bright, light Ooh. sweetness. And it had some fruit in there that I'm not used to having in oatmeal, but the textures were, oh, they just yeah. melded together really well. Oh. And to this day, I, clearly, I remember it. And I'm like, how can I replicate this? <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, it's mm. so good. Mm. Hmm. Yes. Uh, 95% of commercial growth of oats is destined for animals rather than people. Uh, Americans consume about 4.6 pounds of oats a year compared to 132 pounds of wheat. Wow, huh? Yeah. Uh, Apparently, since the EU released guidelines approving of oats in the diet, since 2016, nearly 70% of new cereals launched in the EU have been oat-based. Huh. Interesting. Uh, Because there does seem to be a fondness, particularly in the UK, perhaps, for porridge, which Mm -hmm. is one of the confusing terminology (laughs) things that we had to navigate. Scotland has a world porridge-making championship. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and when you look at the history of oatmeal, there are so many branching stories we could have followed because some people bring up congee and some people bring up um, porridge in Africa and gruel comes up in mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. And porridge, even that word, doesn't necessarily mean oatmeal. Oat porridge, like, yeah. Right, it exactly. can be a porridge made of other grains, sure. Yes. So definitely we'll return to many of those topics. Mm-hmm. But that was a like confusing layer to this whole thing. Um, also, porridge is the name of a popular British sitcom. And, yes, it does feature prominently in Goldilocks hmm. and the Three Bears and other pieces of entertainment, which we will discuss. We will. Um, yeah, we're going to get into all of that history. But first, we are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. 
So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So I did want to start with a disclaimer, other than the language disclaimer on this one. Uh, Lauren and I did try really hard not to make this a Quaker Oats episode, Uh but they do feature prominently, especially in here in the United States yeah. in this story. So that's just how it is. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. a burnt out podcaster. Yeah, yeah. But 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 even even restricting ourselves to the like oatmeal related Quaker company facts, like we could still do an entire episode about that Absolutely. company. And it would be a whole separate thing. Absolutely. Oof. Yeah. Oof indeed. All right. So Recent research posits that the idea of hot cooked cereal grains may be over 12,000 years old and in part possible for the transition from the Stone Age into the Neolithic Revolution, allowing for this explosion in population. And I had never read about this before specifically, and I, it, it's so exciting. 
I mean, yes, in a very specific meaning of the word exciting, I suppose. But (laughs) I I am on board with you, Lauren. I think it's exciting. And I can't wait to talk about it. (laughs) Because, all right, so basically the idea is back when we were nomadic peoples and didn't farm, many of the foods that were foraged or hunted were difficult for babies to eat, which meant that they might breastfeed until four or five years old, essentially meaning that there were obstacles in the way of those mothers conceiving again during that time. Like they were sort of delaying the next time they could conceive. A pivot to farming changed all that, and especially... Related to this, what we're talking about, farming grains changed, helped change all that. Grains that could be charred, ripened, mashed, and importantly, fed to babies. Mm. Right? Reducing the time needed for breastfeeding and leading to this boom in population. Uh, With the growing and mashing of food down, people figured out handheld foods like pancake sort of things composed of various mixtures of porridge cooked over hot stones or something like that um, placed into the embers of fire as evidenced by discoveries out of Switzerland from the Stone Age. Items like this are mentioned in the Bible too, these handheld sort of oat cakes. All over the world, a variety of versions of similar handheld starchy foods developed to suit the needs and the based on what crops were available in mm-hmm. those regions. Um, and this also helped along experiments with fermentation and booze. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, in 2015, um, related to all of this, research was published about having found traces of, of dried oat grains that were ground with a stone mortar. Uh, stone mortar and pestle, yeah, um, in a cave occupied by hunter-gatherers in southeastern Italy about 32,000 years ago. Whew. Yeah. Um, there's no particular evidence that they were turning these ground oats into oatmeal, but the researchers said it was plausible that that's what's happening. Um, plausible. So, so plausible oatmeal <laughs> 32,000 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Awesome. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, it's been around thousands of years. Long time, as we've said. Uh-huh. <laughs> the earliest known traceable grains dating back to 2000 BC out of ancient Egypt, but clearly research ongoing. Uh-huh. Some speculate that the history goes back even further to China. And this is a part of the debate that also depends on how you define porridge and or oatmeal. However, the ancient Egyptians viewed oats as more akin to a weed Mm -hmm. as opposed to anything of value. (laughs) So they didn't cultivate it. Um, It would be thousands of years before humans set about cultivating it, or at least before we have any records of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Many ancient European civilizations did see them as a little more than an annoyance or more suitable for animals than humans. Pliny described them as a diseased quote, <laughs> form of wheat. <laughs> Plenty. <Come> on. <laughs> Frequently we're on your page, but right now we feel betrayed. That is rude. I, I My heart hurts and my stomach burns with rage. Um, <laughs> however, uh, the Romans introduced oats to the UK where it, it did take off, particularly in Scotland, where people did adopt it pretty quickly, particularly among those that could not afford meat and as mentioned, that seems to still be not necessarily the meat thing, but oats and oatmeal and porridge still seem to be pretty popular in the UK. Mm-hmm. All right. So 
All right. (laughs) (laughs) The first known recipe for plum porridge appeared in the 1500s, and apparently this is sort of a Christmas dish uh, in the UK. And it's not really a porridge, but I figured I'd mention it. Or I guess it is, but not in the context of what we're talking about. Okay. But it is in the name. Um, And I didn't want listeners to write in and be like, you didn't mention plum porridge. (laughs) So if you don't know what this is, which I absolutely don't, and I'm going to place money right now, Lauren, if you've never heard of this, you cannot guess what it is. I, uh, yeah, no, no, I, no idea here. (laughs) Okay, here you go. Okay. So this is from Laura Mason at The Guardian. Quote, a whole leg and shin of beef boiled to rags, the stock thickened with bread, spice, and mixed with dried fruit, sugar, and wine. Almost unimaginable, but probably revolting. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, the test run I conducted turned out like mulled wine mixed with beef consomme and tasted better than it sounds. (laughs) So, yeah, that's not what I thought it would be. I, uh, you are correct. I would not have guessed that at all. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it sounds bad. I mean, you know, like I like, like, like beef and barley, and I like like coca vin. So, like, yeah. why not? Why not? Yeah, I've seen plenty of. Uh, Pretty fancy recipes that use like a, a red wine on meat. I, yeah, it's a I tenderizer. It. It's great. However, uh-huh. not everybody was on board with it. <laughs> uh, in 1756, Martha Bradley wrote about this dish. The French laugh outrageously at this old English dish. Ouch! Laugh outrageously, like not just laugh. Yeah. Outrageously laugh. There are a surprising number of harsh disses in this oatmeal episode. There really are. (laughs) All right. Uh, And yes, speaking of, Samuel Jackson wrote in the 1755 Dictionary of the English Language that, a quote, a grain which in England is generally given to horses, but which in Scotland supports the people. That was his thoughts, his takeaway. Okay, that's a little bit shady, but sure. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the mills used to produce Ireland's macroom oatmeal first went into operation in 1800, and it provided laborers with sustenance, from what I understand, still in operation today. Hmm. In 1838, Charles Dickens published the classic Oliver Twist, in which starving young orphan Oliver asked, Please, sir, I want some more. Linking porridge or gruel with poverty, harsh times. And yeah, this is a line that has resonated and stuck around centuries later. Yeah. When even the gruel is in short supply, you know, you know you're in trouble. When even asking for that can get you a beat down. You're not in a good yeah, place. That is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, uh, more or less a century earlier, there's a story of King Louis XIV and his brother, Duke d'Orleans um, throwing porridge at each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Food fights so, of history. <laughs> oh, can we have a separate, a separate, like, mini-series Food Fights of History? Yes. Oh, yes. So, at the very least, the wealthy were eating it, too, although they were throwing it at each other, so... They felt very secure and like poor Oliver Twist is like, oh, please, a little more. And they're like, food fight. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it it's easy to eat, oatmeal is easy to eat, especially for children. Gruel and porridge and oatmeal have 
long been used medicinally, um, even just as an easy way to digest food for about as long as it's been around. Um, For instance, invigorating gruel uh, (laughs) was advertised in the Courier out of New Orleans in 1860. The ad proclaimed, quote, a pleasant taste that is used as a relish by those in good health and an infallible remedy in case of sickness, including the most chronic constipation. Huh. I yeah. I feel like Invigorating Gruel is a band that I went and saw in college, but I I feel like it is an item that you would see in D D. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you go to a tavern, uh-huh. less than reputable space, perhaps. Yeah, and they're like, "Would you like the regular gruel or the invigorating gruel?" The and invigorating is a plus two to your constitution. There you go, and and you've got to roll to see if they're like pulling your foot or not. You know, <laughs> pulling your foot is not a saying, is it? It's it's <laughs> not. Uh, but um, uh, <laughs> you know I what was, I mean. I was willing to roll. <laughs> Thank you. That's no one of the things D&D I love about unintended. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. We're we the puns this episode. You're punchy today, I'll tell you. Yeah. Hey. Okay. All right. L- let's talk about Quaker Oats. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. So they were trademarked in 1877. And that very same year, the Quaker Oats guy, as I would call him, but apparently his name is Larry. Uh <laughs> What? He has a name? I kn- okay. Yes. And it's and Larry? Larry is like not at all, nowhere near what I would have guessed. No, but okay. Apparently, I don't know if that's officially his name. I know that's what they call him like within the company. I think it's officially his name. And over the years, Larry has had several different looks. It wasn't until about 1956 that the, the look we're more familiar with, with just Larry's head, appeared, um, though for a short time after it was introduced, it was in black and white, so that's changed. Okay. Um, the illustrator Haddon Sumblum also designed the Santa Claus for Coca-Cola, so oh, oh. if you see any similarities. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. In the decades after the 1877 trademark, three oat milling companies worked towards coming together a long fraught process uh, until 1901 when they formed Quaker Oats, and they had their work cut out for them. Uh, Americans from pretty much the get-go viewed oats as more of a food for animals, a food for livestock, and mm-hmm. less of a like human thing. <laughs> when immigrant Ferdinand Schumacher arrived decades earlier in 1850, he was used to eating oats in Europe, so he was surprised to find it was only a food for animals in the U.S., he got the idea to shift this viewpoint, um, beginning with the, the thought of, of selling it in a different packaging, a glass jar with cubed oats, relying on this new look and people's love of convenience. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To that end, he invented rolled oats that cooked faster, which was right around the time uh, when the Civil War began. And these oats were a cheap and easy way to feed soldiers, thus introducing an entire country to the fact that oats were not just for animals. Yes, yes. Um, and he founded his company, by the way, a German Mills American Cereal Company in Akron, Ohio. So, hey, Akron. It's my family's from there. Hi. Hi. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so, so these companies were trying all kinds of promotional methods to get the word out. Um, in 
1890, what had become by that point the American Cereal Company, ran this, like, all-oats train from Iowa to Portland, Oregon, um, as a special promotion. And they delivered these half-ounce trial-size boxes of of oats to every mailbox in Portland that year. Um, And this may have been the very first use of trial-size samples. (laughs) There's so much I love about that. I love that they went to Portland. (laughs) <laughs> and I love that. I love the train. We don't we don't see that used enough in in ads anymore. Yeah, there are very few promotional cross country trains. It's ridiculous. I think we're missing out. Uh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, to stand out in the market and make sure the product was cooked correctly, because people were kind of still new to this whole thing and all of that. So yeah, people would start buying this product. One of the founders of Quaker, Henry Crowell, (laughs) uh, got the idea for the printed recipe on the box, at least back to 1891. And I apologize to Mr. Crowell, because your name just makes me (laughs) think of a villain. (laughs) Oh, you're just thinking about Crowley now. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Trying to sell oatmeal. You know, you know, I wouldn't put Crowley past it. If it if it would profit him in some way, uh, mm-hmm. you know, your soul for a bowl of oatmeal, I think, is definitely a thing that dude would do. Your soul for a bowl. Your soul for a bowl. It's oh, right there. See? The copyright itself. It does. Fictional characters, get in touch. We've got ideas mm-hmm. for you. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, these oatmeal companies just really were all about the clever marketing. Um, they may have also, uh, uh, th- this oatmeal conglomerate that was at the time coming together, may have also been uh, the-, the first to do a prize-in-the-box sort of promotion. And it was with China dishware? What? I know. It was also in 1891. I- I'm a little bit uh, shaky on the details here, but I am I am promised by no less than mashed.com that this is a mm. thing that occurred. So I'm all I'm gonna choose to believe it. <laughs> I I wanna believe this too. I want to believe. <laughs> they put China dishware in all right. I guess I mean, you know, they wouldn't oats wouldn't be a bad packing material, really. Oh, that's true. That's true. I mean, as long as moisture doesn't get in, you know. Oh. Yeah, that would be bad. Um, at this <laughs> stage, uh, groats, or steel-cut oats, were um, were the type of oatmeal most widely available. And uh, low and slow oatmeal cooking was highly recommended in recipes from the time. Um, uh, specifically, cookbook and uh, household-keeping author uh, Marion Harland recommended in 1903 Four hours of boiling makes oatmeal good. Eight hours makes it better. 24 hours makes it best. Oh. And uh, also note, like, that that as the uh, popularity of oatmeal as a cereal was kind of coming into vogue around this time, th- this was the same era during which um, all of those um, Seventh-day Adventists, like Kellogg, were really pushing the entire idea of um, wholesome whole grain cereals. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Quaker debuted their first Quick Oats in 1922. Oh. Mm-hmm. When Australian soldiers returned home from war, malnourished in 1942, nutritionist C. Stanton Hicks set up the Australian Army Catering Corps with the goal of tackling this whole issue. And one of the rations he invented was wheat porridge and Tasmanian blue peas. 
forage and peas. This seems to be oh. like a kind oh. of infamous ration, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thought I'd put that in there. Um, and now we arrive at the story that Caitlin was like, you've got to talk about this, which I had never heard of this before. Okay. Quaker got involved in some pretty unsavory science in 1949 when it, along with MIT, invited 74 boys between the ages of 10 to 17 from the Fernald State School, which was this school for abandoned boys, to join the science club. Uh, with promises of hearty food, missed meals was often a punishment for the boys, along with manual labor and abuse, hmm. and also baseball games. Little did the boys know they were the subjects of three scientific experiments, or I suppose kind of one big one, mm-hmm. but yeah, three separate groups, including uh, one group that they were served Quaker oats with radioactive calcium and iron. Oh, uh-huh. Um, others were directly injected with radioactive calcium. And at the time, rates of exposure to radioactivity were higher than ever. So one of the goals of the, these experiments was to uncover the effects of radioactivity on the human body. Like, during this time, there was big concern around mm-hmm. this. Yeah, yeah. And the company hoped that this would help prove, the, this experiment would help prove that they were a healthy dietary choice especially compared to their competitors, cream of wheat. Oh. Yes. Hot cereal intrigue. Hot cereal intrigue, indeed. Uh, That's another band somewhere. Please continue. I'm sorry. (laughs) That is so many band names from the oatmeal episode, of course. Um, While the research did bear out that the levels of radiation tested did not cause lasting damage, Still, not the best medical, scientific, or ethical standards. Mm, No. No. It wasn't until 1995 that a lawsuit resulted in a settlement and apology. I do believe there were cases of people reporting symptoms, but, like, the the records weren't there. It was difficult to prove. But also, I think one of the reasons that Quaker Oats lost this was they were able to pretty much prove that this had less to do with, like, caring about people's health and much more to do with the monetary benefit of beating cream of wheat. <laughs> oh, wow. Huh. Pretty sure. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, in either case, it's not good. No. It took a long time for that lawsuit to come about, too. Uh. Yeah. So there you go. Radioactive oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read all about this now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because that's, oh, that's just so, that's just so fascinating because that was a full, that was like a full decade after um, the entire hubbub about um, the, the the radium girls, the, um, the, right. the pink yeah. workers had been mm-hmm. going on. Um, and so you would, you would think anyway, okay, sure, cool, 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 cool. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's the Cold War was on. Um, I'm sure that this was a thing on a lot of people's minds. Yeah. Welp. Um, Quaker's instant oatmeal packets <laughs> were introduced <laughs> in 1966. The first flavored packets came along in 1970. That's one of my favorite hard pivot transitions you've ever done, I think. I, you're welcome. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, here I am with another. Uh, Quaker Oats <laughs> helped finance Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in 1971. And that's the primary reason for the change uh, from the title of the book 
to the movie um, so that Quaker could slap the name on all kinds of products. Oh. Yeah, um, that was the deal. They put they put a lot of money into this movie. Uh, then a major studio would release it, and then Quaker would make candies and treats for the film. Hmm. Uh, apparently, it took them a long time. I think we talked about this in our uh, Willy Wonka, Foods of Willy Wonka episode. Yeah, yeah. I think it took them a long time to nail down that Wonka bar. And they later sold the whole thing, their Wonka candy division, to Nestle in 1988. In 1997, Quaker petitioned the FDA to allow them to make the health claim on their packaging that their product, when a part of a low-fat balanced diet, reduced the risk of heart disease, something that had previously been unallowed, like health claims like that. Yeah. Not allowed. But the FDA agreed, and it permanently changed the way health claims are used, can be used in the marketing of food products, especially here in the U.S. Um, Yeah. And boosting sales of Quaker Oats drastically over the next few years because people thought they were making this healthy choice. Sure. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, also, in the 1990s, Quaker launched an initiative to get kids interested in eating oatmeal for breakfast, including dinosaur-themed commercials and tie-ins along with, like, treasure hunt and sea adventures. I wanted to mention this because it seems people have fond nostalgic memories for these commercials. I am not remembering them at all, and I am going to go down a YouTube rabbit hole after we finish recording, and I am sure it will be very, uh, as most 90s (laughs) commercial-related YouTube rabbit holes are. Our our search histories, I think about it constantly. Oh, man. (laughs) If anyone is paying attention, I, you know, I hope that they are appropriately confused, because heck knows I am. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, after the Environmental Working Group tested several breakfast foods for glyphosate in 2018, uh, which is the same weed killer or one of them in Roundup, uh, Quaker Oats came out uh, positive. It tested positive for it. Mm-hmm. However, there is a lot of debate about how dangerous that actually is, if at all. Um so more research is needed. Yeah, yeah. Um, in general, uh, weed weed killers are are bad for the farms that they are on, and the people who are working those farms, and the people mm-hmm. who live in surrounding areas. Um, the amount that you would get through a food that e- even the tests positive for it is really probably. Uh, incidental. It probably isn't going to make a huge impact on you. Um, it, it's it's really more an issue of um, taking care of uh, our, our land and our people who work that land and live out there. So, yeah. Um, right. But, yeah. <laughs> that noise. That noise. And that about brings us to today. I, f- I feel like overnight oats have been trendy in the past couple of years, but I also saw a lot of really funny backlash. Um, oh, yeah? I, th- I thought it was funny to overnight oats. People are like, you're doing it wrong. Just make oatmeal. <laughs> 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 do what needs convenient and you like. Yeah. You know. I, you know, I do like the idea of anything that, that you can kind of like prep the night before and like right. not have to turn on the stove for and um, and be able to consume in the morning when you're like not quite human yet. Right. So and it's portable. You yeah. Know. Mm-hmm. It's cool on like a like a glutenization science level that you can get the same result from either applying a certain amount of heat or by just like letting it sit there. 
Yeah, why aren't people thinking about the glutenization <laughs> science level when they level these claims? It's ridiculous. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, think about that next time, naysayers. <laughs> think about the glutenization, for heck's sake. Anyway, um, or not glutenization, I'm sorry, uh, gel- gel- gelatinization. Did I say that other thing? Anyway, because oats yes. are gluten-free unless they're processed in a place that has gluten stuff in it. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do have some listener mail for you. We do, but first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga! How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with... Snow. 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 
I don't know why these oatmeal bands feel like they're kind of hardcore to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I no. Don't know. Party, I... you know? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I'm not, I have literally no way of arguing you, with you about um, the uh, music intentions of these fictional bands. So I'm, I'm going to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> we did want to read part of Caitlin's email, the listener who suggested oh, this topic. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, even when it's not the apocalypse, I love cooking. And now at the end of days, I'm tinkering in the kitchen even more. I save your episodes specifically for when I'm cooking to make both the episodes and the food prep feel special. Oh, It's extra enjoyable when what I'm cooking coincidentally coincides with what the episode is about as has happened more often than you might think. Tonight, I'm making Irish Colcannon from Ronnie Lundy's Victuals, and I wasn't sure what I was going to make to go with it. Being of a smooth Scotch-Irish Appalachian ancestral mix, surely that would be the most pungent whiskey. (laughs) Um, I was thinking Irish soda bread until I went to re-listen, yes, re-listen, to the cornbread episode. And there it was. The rest of my dinner menu straight from Victuals as well. Hmm. Cornbread, as you more delicately state in your episode, is a BFD in the South. (laughs) I grew up with intentionally and stubbornly unsweetened cornbread. So when I first met my husband, who prefers a slightly sweetened cornbread, I was aghast. (laughs) Could I be with such a person? How would we raise our children? These are the questions I had to consider. Fortunately for him, I forgave this character flaw for his many, many other wonderful traits. And we now have been happily married eating unsweetened cornbread (laughs) for three years now. (laughs) Oh, well, congratulations. I'm really glad that you you crazy kids found a way to make it work. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that's tough. That's tough. But it seems you worked it out. And now, I mean, I know you're not supposed to say things like I win in a relationship, but... It's like you came out on top. It seems like you did. Yes. <laughs> the cornbread question. In the <laughs> any any relationship is a series of trade-offs and negotiations, you know. Yes. You know. That's what it's mm-hmm. all about. <laughs> uh, EJ wrote, I live in Japan, although I'm originally from the Philippines. Two years ago, back when I lived in rural Japan, I decided to experiment by trying my hand at making hoshigaki without a recipe. This means, of course, no going online to get a recipe. Instead, I relied on oral tradition. I went around and asked the people around me, coworkers, friends, and senior citizens, about their experiences with making hoshigaki. Only a few of them had any firsthand experience making it for themselves, but had parents or grandparents who did. I narrowed down the steps based on the most consistent advice that was given to me. So, uh, shubigaki, uh, you can only make it using this kind of astringent persimmon. The other kind, they said, would rot and not dry out because it would already be too wet. Make sure your persimmons still have the stem attached to the fruit. Peel the persimmons, but leave a bit of the peel or skin around the stem to keep it together. Mold prevention. This seemed to be where a lot of the advice diverged. Some suggested immersing the peeled persimmons in boiling water for about 10 to 20 seconds. Um, Others said it would be dipped or sprayed with shochu. Hang by the window. Again, people argued whether inside or outside is better. You can hang them in a rope or even plastic twine because you can just shove the stem into it and it remains pretty stable. And wait 
for your desired doneness. It takes uh, from a few weeks to a month or so to make. I found the massaging bit was not a common piece of advice given to me. A one person mentioned it, some said it wasn't necessary, the rest didn't mention it at all. I bought a sack of shibugaki for about $40 and proceeded to work on the two to three dozen persimmons. The season for persimmons is in the fall, and since I started mid to late November, I had some bruised persimmons in my bag. I tried to trim away the bad bits, but they just exposed the moist interior of the fruit so they did not dry out properly. I opted to boil all the persimmons, but I also decided to spray half of them with whiskey, as it was the alcohol I had on hand as my experimental group. The result? Fantastic. I opted for half-doneness, and at this stage, the outside had dried and was a little chewy, but inside is this ball of luxuriously rich, concentrated, gelatinous, persimony goodness. I couldn't really tell the difference between the one sprayed with whiskey and the one without. Um, they were both amazing. Naturally, I thanked my friends and coworkers for being my sources with a taste test. Most were complimentary and said it was amazing that I'd pulled it off the way that I did. The ones who really liked it said that they had never had hoshigaki uh, like that before and that they didn't usually eat store-bought ones because they were too dry for their liking. This sounds so good. Um, <sighs> the pictures, uh, EJ sent pictures. They're amazing, like beautiful. Um, and also, I just love that you went around and asked people and sort of collected... Collected advice. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That is that 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 is something that I don't think I've ever done for a recipe. And now I really, really want to. Yeah, because that's where you get those stories from people of, you know, when I was growing up, we did it this way or and just hearing kind of similarities and differences and compiling that. And yeah. Doing this experiment. It sounds like it really worked a, out. A I delicious <laughs> experiment. Oh, yes. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Well, thanks to both of those listeners for writing. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. 
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.